Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first two verses, a gospel greeting that Paul gave where he basically said, hey, Christ has changed me. I'm an apostle because of his decision, because of what he wanted in my life and how he worked in my life. And he also turned to the church and he said, he said, God's changed you. You're saints. Remember that word saint means like holy one, set apart one. You're one. You are different from everybody else. So the idea, even in the greeting is God has done a work in me and God has done a work in you. And you and I should know <laughs> that when the Lord Jesus comes into our lives, he does change us. He changes us. He, when he saves us, he begins to work on us. Now, we are not what we should be on this earth. But one of these days, he's going to even knock off these imperfections. And he's going to, he's in the process now. He's knocking them off. It's called sanctification, that he's working in our lives. But ultimately, he will glorify us and he'll take all those imperfections away. But until then... God continues to work, and we continue as a church to, to hear from him, even in a letter like Colossians, just as Paul was writing to them. And when Paul's writing, you'll notice in these verses tonight, he's going to express thanks for them, and thanks for what God is doing, and then he's going to challenge them. But I do like it, the way Paul does this. I mean, this is a good writer, this is a good preacher. You tell them what's good about them before you really challenge them, you know? You tell them the things that are going well in their lives. You tell them the things that they can be complimented on. Because everybody can have some type of compliment coming their way. So Paul, he says, God's changed me and God's changed you. And then he moves into that complimentary section where he says, I want to give some thanks for a moment. I want to express my gratitude. Look in verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 3 through verse 8 is one sentence in the original language. If you look at the original language, just one sentence that encompasses all of those verses. I mean, he is lengthy, right? And there are other areas, there are other books where you'll see Paul do something very similar. He will just begin talking, and it's like he cannot punctuate the sentence. He has to keep going and keep going and keep going. Today, there are some writers, Christian writers, a guy named John Piper, if you ever read anything about him, that I think took his methodology from the Apostle Paul. I will start sometimes on one page, and two pages later, I might finish the sentence. But there are some of us preachers that are like that as well, right? 
We may not put it on paper, but when you hear us speak, you can hear us like just combine all these things together in one sentence. There's one sentence in verse 3 through verse 8. But the primary statement he makes is there in verse 3, we give thanks. For those of you who have taught English or you, uh, you remember the days of diagramming, that would remind us that that phrase, you have the subject and the verb. You have everything really about the sentence. Everything else is modifying that basic structure. We give thanks. Paul says, I just want to stop and express gratitude. And if you read his letters, you're not surprised. Paul loves to stop and just demonstrate his grateful heart to God. Even as he's writing, right? Now, some people would say, well, if you look at those early pagan letters and the Greek letters of the day, you will notice that this is a form of flattery for people. And yes, it is. But I love the way Paul takes the forms of the day and he puts new substance in those forms. He puts a distinct Christ-filled substance within the forms of that New Testament era. And here he says, we do give thanks. But you will notice that this thanks is rooted directly in Christ Jesus. His gratitude is going to be in what Christ has achieved, in what Christ has done. I'm convinced we need to be people of gratitude. Let me just stop before I show you what he's grateful for and just, just encourage you to be grateful. I know there's a season of the year when we emphasize it. It's around November. We call it Thanksgiving. We eat a lot of food and hopefully we offer a lot of prayer of Thanksgiving. But the spirit of gratitude and Thanksgiving should be with us each and every day of the year. We are to be grateful people. God has really been impressing this upon me lately. And I have not been as grateful in some areas like I should be. And God has really been dealing with me about being more intentional about my gratitude. I mean, here's Paul, who I believe is in a Roman imprisonment, maybe a house arrest at this time. And he's taking time to write to the church. And he takes time to speak to them about his gratefulness. If Paul can do that, I think I can stop and maybe you can stop and send words of gratitude toward other people when it makes a difference. God's been working on me. I still hadn't caught up with my gratitude from Christmas. I'm still working on some that brought me pies because I'm still working on the pies. I froze some of those. But it just reminds me that, you know, I need to stop and I need to be grateful and, and you need to be grateful. And here's Paul and Paul is saying, we give thanks. I think this is probably Paul and Timothy together reflecting upon God's goodness and giving thanks. And, and notice he says, we give thanks to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we give thanks to him because we recognize that every good gift is coming from him. Our gratitude ultimately is toward him and what he has done. He says, praying always for you, lifting them up 
And next week, if you come, and I hope you will, we'll talk about a prayer for the church and a prayer that we can offer for the church. But he says, we are praying for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. What Paul says is we give thanks. We give thanks, one, for your, the faith that you've had in Christ. We give thanks for the love that you have for all the saints, for each other. We give thanks because we see fruitfulness, verse 6, of the gospel. We give thanks to God for what he continues to do. So let me just flesh out some of those areas of thanksgiving tonight. We give thanks for the faith that you've had in Christ. Paul looks at this church in Colossae and he says, we see that you've trusted Christ. Now, Paul was not actually one who birthed this church. Now, Paul birthed a lot of churches. <laughs> he was the ultimate church planter, right? But he had not necessarily birthed the church at Colossae. He had been in Ephesus, not too far away, and as I mentioned last week, perhaps his work was extended down to the Lycus Valley, there to Colossae. Maybe it was his companion Epaphras who was mentioned in verse 7 because it says there also you learn from Epaphras, our dear servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. He says, Epaphras has taught you and he's spoken to you. Maybe Epaphras was a companion of his up in Colossae and he just sent, I mean, uh, in Ephesus, and he sent him down to Colossae. And maybe it was Epaphras. I, I'm not sure. We're not totally sure what happened there. But somehow the faith had come to that community and the church had been established. How grateful Paul was that the gospel had gotten to Colossae. How he had given thanks that they had expressed faith in Christ that absolute trust and surrender that we talk about often, faith, that they had shown their faith in Christ. He said, I'm thankful for that. Aren't you thankful that people do have faith? They have faith in Christ. Aren't you proud? Aren't you grateful that God establishes churches? Aren't you grateful that God brings people together into the family of God? I mean, this is what Paul's saying. Paul said, I am so thankful that God established faith in you. You have had faith. And basically saying, I am so thankful that he established you right there in Colossae as a body of believers. I'm kind of proud that God established a church in Ruston called Temple Baptist Church. Kind of proud. And there are good other churches around here. I don't mean that exclusively outside of other churches. There are great churches in Ruston. God has given some wonderful bodies of believers here. But for me personally, to be able to pastor this church and be a part of this church, I'm proud that somewhere along the way, God allowed the establishment of temple. I'm proud that God is still establishing churches, that he's still planting bodies of believers in our nation and beyond. Some of you know that we, uh, we support some of these churches. We, uh, a few years ago now, I, you know what? It's been almost four years ago. I think some of you saw this guy come and preach, uh, some of you who were here, and he kind of had a little different hair deal, you know, like 
it just kind of was to the side. It was a fade or something. Is that what they call it? Gabe, is that what they call it? You're into more of that kind of stuff, you know, but... Maybe something, a swoop or something like that. And I remember when he came in and I thought to myself, man, I don't know how this is really going to, to go over this morning. I don't know how. But he came and he preached. His name was Matt Lawson. And, uh, and you all were so receptive to him. And you all have blessed him in so many different ways. And we have sent short-term teams out to the Los Angeles area where he started a church. And, and uh, we have helped them financially. Back in December, he sent me a note that they had had in the Burbank area in their church. They had had, I think, 359 people there that Sunday morning, children and adults. I gave thanks. You should give thanks because God is still pushing back the darkness. It's dark as it seems. And listen, it seems dark. But as dark as it seems, the gospel is still having impact. People are still having faith. He wrote to me and told me that they were going to try to start another location just about 25 minutes from where he was to try to reach more people in a more populated area. And he asked us, to continue to pray. There are people there in, up in Calgary that many of you know that we've supported. Uh, the Flores, Multiply Church. I saw this morning Chris uh, had posted on social media and just encouraged the people from Multiply to show up, not to let wind and snow stop them. How grateful we are that whether it be Los Angeles or Chicago or Calgary or West Palm or wherever it is that we are working with or here in Ruston, that God has chosen to bring together a group of believers in faith. And we should give thanks. Colossae was a dark area. There were many dark areas that needed the message of Christ. Paul took that message to many of them, but there were others involved, people like Epaphras, who helped spread the word, and they were able to receive the gospel of Christ. And Paul said, we give thanks to God. Had to be a God thing. Had to be a God moment in this church's life. Because God is the one who brings the church Together, He said, I am thankful. I'm thankful for the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. Notice that terminology again. You'll see it through Paul's writings in Christ. That your faith has been in him. You have been consumed in Christ. You have found yourself firmly planted in him. That <clears throat> this is a, a theological term I think that Paul uses to talk about how Christ has made an absolute difference in people's hearts and lives. He says, I'm thankful for that. And notice that second thing that he mentions here in verse 4. He says, and I'm thankful for your love for all the saints. So the word love there is that word that some of you have heard preachers speak about, the Greek term agape. It was the committed type of love. Now, I know some people don't see quite the differentiation in these words 
But the Greeks had different words for a reason. And they would utilize these words. And here there is this idea of commitment to love. If not just from the term itself, from the context. And he says, I am thankful for your love for all the saints. The saints here again reminding us that these are the set apart people of God. The believers. All of us. Hey, all of us who are in Christ are saints. You may not have thought of yourself as a saint outside of a football field. But all of us are saints. There is not one category of saints in the category of the rest of us. All of us who've been set aside, all of us who have been saved, we're all, in some ways, the holy ones of God. He has called us to be. And here he says, you have love for all of the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. You've got a committed type of love, agape. He says, I'm thankful for that. I'll look at you, I'll look at your heart, and I'm so thankful for you. How grateful. Again, how grateful should we be to be able to find a context of love and faith and fellowship that God would allow us to be a part of something we call the church where we can love one another. I'm so, again, grateful for Temple Baptist Church, a people that will genuinely love one another. I've seen it for five plus years since I've been here. When people go through difficult times, when people are, are um, <clears throat> struggling or maybe facing challenges, this church will come around and demonstrate so much love and so much compassion. I have seen it in so many of our members. I've seen it in so many of our people. How grateful I am for a church that loves one another. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to even express what I see within the church that we call temple. And I can't imagine those people who don't have a church home, whatever church that is, people who call themselves believers, and, I, and I, I'm not necessarily suggesting that they're not. I'm just saying to you, God never intended for a believer to be isolated and alienated alone. It was never God's intention. God always, God always designed and assumed that his people would somehow come together for worship, fellowship, and mission. That it would be within a context of a local body of believers. Remember when you look at the word church, when you find it, in the New Testament, over 90 times, it's used like 100, I don't know, 14, 117 times, like 90-something times, it refers to a local body of believers. So I do believe in a universal church. I do believe in that. But for us as Baptists, we've always put emphasis on the local church, the local body of believers. Because it is there that you experience relationship. It is there that you experience true love. It is there that you are able 
to minister to one another. And I can't imagine people who have alienated themselves from his church. I know all the different things that are said. You know, there are hypocrites in the church. Yes, there are. Absolutely. We are imperfect. We always have been imperfect. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, will not be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, that will be a transformative sight. Will it not? And like all of a sudden we will be changed. And what John tells us is that we will be like him. Until then, we are imperfect. We've got all kinds, all kinds of issues. But just as I don't give up on my biological family, even though there are a few I'd like to kind <clears> of, <throat> even though I don't give up on my biological family, I will not for a moment give up on my spiritual family. Because it is the context where we are able to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul says. I am so thankful for your love for one another. Paul loved the church. He really did. He loved the local churches. How did I know that? Well, he would not only establish a lot of them, he'd go back and visit them. And then when he wasn't visiting them, he was writing them because he wanted to encourage them and challenge them. And even if he wasn't writing them or visiting them, what was he doing? He was praying for them. It's all borne out in the scripture that Paul prayed for them. He visited them. He wrote to them. He was so encouraged and he so loved the local churches. And he knew that it was from the local church that the gospel would most readily come forth. The church, I believe, is the epi epicenter of missions and of ministry. Everything happens from the local church outward. And that's the reason he says, I'm so grateful for your love. And the reason you've had faith and the reason you've had love, why? It's because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So in other words, they say, the reason you really are able to love one another like you should and the reason you've had such faith and commitment to one another is because you know there's something more. You know there's a hope. Now this word will be used in the book of Ephesians. And of course, Ephesians is a cousin of Colossians. When you look at the Pauline corpus, the Pauline literature, it's a, it's a cousin. Uh, you've got Philemon, you've got Philippians, all of these written, I think, about the same time. The captivity epistles, some of them have been referred to as. And in the book of Ephesians, it will also in that first chapter talk about that hope. It talks about the hope that is in Christ. It talks about the hope which is guaranteed of something much better. So Paul's saying, speaking about this, he said, the reason you have such faith and the reason you have such love and I'm so grateful for those things is because you have a hope. Because you responded to the word of truth in the beginning and you knew who your confidence was and you knew who your assurance was. Your confidence and your assurance is Christ Jesus. He's your hope. That's the certainty. 
That's the assurance. Remember, in the New Testament, when you see the word hope, it refers to certainty, assurance. So you have full confidence in Jesus, and you have full confidence in what he has done, and you've responded to the gospel. Because of that, you've had faith. Because of that, you've had love. Oh, for us to keep going as a church and for us to love one another like we should, for us to have the faith that we should, we have to keep remembering that we have the hope, the hope of Christ, the certainty, the confidence. And he says, I'm thankful for the fruitfulness, which has come to you, the gospel that is, the truth of the gospel has come to you as it has also in all the world and it's bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and you the God, grace of God in truth. Spring forth fruit. The fruit of the gospel issues initially in salvation, people's hearts and lives, right? The good news comes, people respond, salvation, that is the initial fruit of the gospel. And at this time in the church's life, Paul is able to say that fruit is being born everywhere. A movement that was begun in the nation of Israel, a nation, a, a, a movement that was begun with a one sermon, a pretty simple sermon that was preached by this guy named Peter on the day of Pentecost, has now spread not only into the Lycus Valley where Colossae was. But it has now spread all the way over to Rome itself. If you believe where Paul is traditionally, what he's been associated with, he's in Rome and imprisonment. And here he is in Rome. And according to the, to the last chapter of Acts, you haven't gotten there, have you yet? We'll get there one of these days on Sunday mornings. But according to the last chapter of the book of Acts, it says Paul is in Rome and that he is sharing the truth of the gospel. He's telling people about this salvation that comes through Jesus alone. He's doing Rome, the center of the world. And guess what's happening? Fruit is being born. Fruit of the gospel. People being saved. They've seen that in Colossae. And they have seen the fruit continue. Because when God saves you, He doesn't want to leave you where you are. He loves you so much that He is not willing to leave you where you are. He wants to grow you. He wants to work within you. He wants to bear fruit within you so that you can bear fruit without. He wants to work within you. And what Paul says is, I'm seeing the fruitfulness of the gospel. In you, really in all the world, he said, because here I am in Rome and I'm seeing it here, but I'm seeing it in you. Man, isn't it great? Isn't it great to see God's gospel and his fruit bear out in other people's lives and in our lives? I was so thankful this morning we had the baptisms we did. Now, I'm always thankful for that. Uh, but to know that you pray for an individual and God continues to call and he works in his own time to bring that individual to salvation and then finally the follow through of baptism. 
Man, the fruit of the word of truth. To know, as I mentioned this moment, that you can go on a mission trip with a young boy and you see him grow and you see the different things in his life. And then as God's spirit strives with that individual, that he brings him to salvation. God, thank you for the fruit. Thank you for the fruit. When you see people not just baptized, but you see them growing in the Spirit, and you see them growing in the Word, you see them being equipped to do the ministry, people that God encourages and blesses and challenges to do amazing things, whether it's in the worship ministry, some mission trip, in the youth, wherever it is. Isn't it awesome to see the fruit born? One of the things I love about continuing in an area, I've always prayed that the Lord would uh, kind of give me a long-term ministry like he did my home pastor so that I could see more of that fruit over a lifetime. Sometimes it's hard to see in a snapshot. But to see the full portrait of what he's doing and to see the fruit Paul just says, hey, I am so thankful for the fruit of the gospel, for how that fruit is being born, not only in the world, but especially right there in your church. And I'm thankful that we continue to see the fruit of the gospel, even within Temple Baptist Church, through salvation, but also through sanctification, as God works in our hearts and lives. We give thanks. We give thanks for the faith that you have demonstrated in Christ. We give thanks for the love that you have for one another. We give thanks for the fruitfulness of the word of truth and how it is making a difference in your life and your congregation. Those were the words of Paul. I think they could be our words of looking in our church and congregation and just offering to Christ the gratitude and the praise that he so deserves. Let's pray together. Father, we do know every good gift comes from you. The only reason we can stir the waters of the baptistry is because you have stirred the heart and the spirit of unbelievers and brought them to life. The only reason we can see people grow in your word is because you have implanted that word in their lives and you're making a difference in them. The only reason we can really demonstrate the love toward one another that we should. It's because you first loved us. Even when we didn't deserve it. So God tonight in this place as a people and as a church. Hear our thanksgiving. Hear our praise. Hear our gratitude. And we pray, Lord, every day 
that we would have more faith, that we would have more love, that we would have more fruitfulness as we depend upon you and your spirit. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?